This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Backman Show, Throwing Shade, The Tom Hartman Program, Citizen Radio, On the Media, and The Jimmy Dore Show. No justices of the Supreme Court were injured during the making of this episode. Let's start, Lewis, with some of the big news this week. We have a big week. Well, we won't know if it's a big week or not for equality and gay rights. We'll know in a few months. But at least we know that it's a big week in the Supreme Court. Talking Points Memo has a great piece about the significance of the Supreme Court hearing two blockbuster cases about gay rights this week. Historic implications. Are we going to see an acceleration of progress when it comes to equality? Or are we going to see a decision that will basically say, you know, uh, states can just kind of decide for themselves and what California did with Prop 8 is constitutional. Where do we think, have you guys been thinking about where you think the, the Supreme Court will come down on this? Natan? Yeah, uh, I think the most likely scenario is that uh, they're going to say that the people who are bringing the case don't have legal standing to do it and that will make uh, gay marriage legal only in California, or they'll decide on the merits and say it isn't constitutional, but it's only unconstitutional in California, um, and they won't, it won't affect any other state. I think that's the most likely thing. So to get people up to speed, Lewis, the two cases that are going to be heard today and tomorrow are, number one, the constitutionality of California's Proposition 8, which says marriage is man, woman, that's it. And then... Another case, which is the Federal Defense of Marriage Act, also known as DOMA, which bars married same-sex couples from receiving federal benefits. Now, by the end of June, we'll have some kind of decision written by the nine justices, and then we will see, are we going forward, are we going back, are we just kind of punting indefinitely? And a lot of the attention is on Justice Anthony Kennedy, who has had, I guess we could call it, Lewis, somewhat of a pro-gay rights streak and also, I think it will be interesting to see what happens with Chief Justice John Roberts, because with health care, with Obamacare, we could make any number of arguments about the legacy. But we know where marriage equality is going in this country, Lewis. And the, the issue of John Roberts' legacy, which will no doubt retrospectively be shaped by this ruling, is that a factor? We know that it shouldn't be a factor in how decisions are made, but we know that all sorts of extraneous factors actually become relevant when it comes to the Supreme Court. What do you think? Right. Um, it, very hard to say. But in general, this is something that um, eventually will presumably reach the Supreme Court again and, and again and again. You're I mean, saying even if we don't get what we want this time, that inevitably in different forms, maybe from different states or on different angles, it will come back to the Supreme Court. I think that's possible, uh, but generally we are headed in, in a certain direction, and that is full equality. My prediction is Clarence Thomas will sit there nice and quietly, not saying a word during the entire thing. We can almost be sure of that, can't we? Uh, I'd put money on that, yeah. I wish I knew how to behave like a human. I wish I knew more than my father before me. If you wear this night, you can see forever. If you wear this night, you can see forever. Oh, oh, oh. 
The Supreme Court's here. Will the Supreme Court be queer? Yeah. That's mm. me I wish pretend, you... pretending to be my drag queen persona. Uh, Supreme Court. Leggy egg. Uh, why? Just call us. Sup- oh, yeah. Your Supreme good. Court. That's good. I'm. That's my drag queen character, Supreme Court. Now sing a Supreme song. Baby, baby. Where will our votes go? There you go. You did it. I did it. Okay. So the big cases are coming up Tuesday, today. Well, the hearing for the Prop 8 case starts in the Supreme Court. Yes. Wednesday, all the stuff for DOMA starts for the Defense of Marriage Act. Just to clue you in. uh, Did you read about how much time they have to actually discuss? None. An hour total. Total. But the, the defense gets... 30 minutes and the process, the, no, how do they do other that? Way. Other so way. The, so the, the, I think it's the, um, the people opposed to Prop 8, meaning the good guys in our case, uh, get 20, 20 minutes. minutes and the bad guys get 30. Um, you cannot be because, a stutterer in that, in that position. No. And I think, and, and they also gave 10 minutes to like the representatives for the government or something that they like gave away 10 minutes. The whole thing's a little complicated. The 20 minute people, the good guys. But just so, so, okay. So tomorrow, today is the Prop 8 case, which, um, is, as you all know, is the California gay marriage that could go one of many ways. Just real quick, Prop 8. Says that gay people cannot get married in California. So we are against Prop 8. We are against Prop 8. It's so so confusing. It's very confusing. The language is weird. So if you were in California in 2008 and you support gay marriage, you would have voted no on Proposition 8. But it was confusing, and I think that's probably one of the reasons it passed. Exactly. Well, so um, people, a lot of people feel like there is a groundswell of support now. You know, many states more than ever uh, or allow gay marriage. I think it's, it's nine. It's an all-time high. All-time, sixty-one percent yeah. was the latest of Americans. Poll of, of Americans who were cool with it. Uh, which I just, I just have to say, I hope we're not losing our edge because you know, yeah. Every now and then, you want someone to pull over and. We well, haven't made it until someone's threatened to kill you. It's absolutely true. So uh, all all eyes are on the Supreme Court right now. There are some justices who everyone knows will vote um, against gay marriage: Scalia, Thomas, and Alito. The swing votes possibly will be Kennedy and Roberts, who are typically conservative, but might. But wasn't it said about Roberts um, in the last couple of days that he likes to err on the right side of history? He does like to err on the right side of history. He is also his first cousin is gay. and, and his Once first, removed or twice removed? None removed. Okay. And this cousin is going to, uh, is, will be there at the Supreme Court. Oh, just looking at him? Just looking at him. Just giving him some serious side eye. Well... So with this first of two cases uh, to decide whether gay couples can be married under the U.S. Constitution, there is one guy on the Supreme Court who's the biggest D-bag of all. And this whole thing was uh, compiled like by... Like diva bag? Is that what you mean I by D-bag? I wish. No. D- D-O- I hate the word douchebag, actually. It's just whatever. No, He's let's keep using it. He's I want to keep bag. using it. He's a bag full of dicks that can't get hard. That is... Oh, a bag of soft dicks? Absolutely. That's the worst. That is Justice Scalia. He, Think Progress, put together a More list. like Justice Scalia. Yeah, more like Justice Scatlia. Yes. And by that, I don't mean poo-poo. I mean like... Scat cat. Scooby like, doop do 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 do
Thanks. So I did not say thanks. The first comparison he made to gay marriage was in a case called Romer versus Evans. This was in Colorado. Ooh, Romer. Romer. And in Colorado, there was a constitutional amendment that was mainly motivated by just animosity toward gay people, like limiting their rights, limiting marriage, that kind of thing. Good it was God. Limiting crazy. their cakes. Exactly. And Scalia was one of the people who didn't see a problem with this law. Most oh. of the Supreme Court did see a problem. And, uh, was it because he had his sunglasses on? I think so. Yeah. He couldn't actually see. Yeah. Uh, but he compared gay marriage to, or uh, homosexuals to mur- murder, polygamy, and cruelty to animals. Murder? Wait, also kind of insulting to polygamists, too. Like exactly. To, like, not to compare them to gay people, but to lump polygamists in with murderers and, and bestiality people? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he wrote about this case. The court's opinion contains grim, disapproving hints that Coloradans have been guilty of animosity toward homosexuality, as though that has been established as un-American. So he thinks that homosexuality shouldn't be considered un-American, or homophobia shouldn't be considered un-American. Oh, homophobia should be, I'm proud to be against gay people, I'm for the U.S. of A. They sing Guns. that. Yeah, they sing that before Rape. every meeting. Yep. Crime. Yep. Banking scandals. So he went on to say, I had thought that one could consider certain conduct reprehensible, murder, for example, or polygamy or cruelty to animals, and could even and could exhibit even animosity towards such conduct. So, you know, polygamy is cool, man. I'll say it. Gays and polygamists right on in my book. Well, my book about my book about people. Fine. You know that book about people that I have? It's like I do. polygamists, gay people, but people still, with short hair. Yes, but you still shouldn't lump them together because it's a different issue. It's one-on-one love versus two-on, you know. Yeah, three, but four, both but are fine with me. Both are fine with me, too, but I think a lot of people would hey, be upset by that. I always say, if you're a consenting adult, put your holes in your dicks and your dicks in your holes wherever you want. God, I love that. Where Do you still have that cross-stitched on that frame above your bed? I do, I on, do. On pillows and... I yeah. sell them. You can go to my Etsy store and get them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, next up, in this same case, Scalia, uh, this is from Think Progress, suggested that a law which essentially put LGBT people in as a second-class status is no different than any other law disfavoring certain conduct. And in, in this... Like like conduct. It's yeah. not about conduct. He said that it's no different than disfavoring, quote, drug addicts or smokers or gun owners or motor, motorcyclists. How are motorcycle... Who's, who's out to get motorcyclists? Beca- he said because it's like dangerous conduct. Like riding a motorcycle is dangerous. Smoking yeah, but is we dangerous. still let people do it. Exactly. But he was saying that like... Hey, uh, you know, you gotta, it's it's still. Also, just because you ride a motorcycle doesn't mean you get, you get less rights than someone who doesn't ride a motorcycle. You just have to, all you have to do is take a fucking test and get a different kind of license. That's it. You don't have, that's insane. I can't believe that like that logic works on any level. So then in the Lawrence versus Texas case, which was about, uh, outlawing this crazy sodomy law that Texas had about, you know, can't fuck up the butt. Ooh, girl, I would have had a problem there because, girl, I love it in the butt. I love, I love dicks in the butt. I love candles in the butt. I love carrots in the butt. Love yeah. everything in the butt. Sure, that's Just my salad new restaurant. In the butt. Salad. Your restaurant should be called Salad in the Butt. Salad in the butt. Who wants to eat a salad out of my butt? It's for not vegetarian called- butt lovers. That's what it should be. Uh, so all all my restaurants have uh, subtitles. Mm-hmm. So he said that. Uh, 
he dissented in Lawrence versus Texas, rejecting the idea that a ban on sodomy violates the liberties protected by the Constitution. He said such a ban, quote, undoubtedly imposes constraints on liberty, but so do laws prohibiting prostitution or recreational use of heroin. Oh, heroin and gays doing it the same since ever. Yep. So in this same opinion, later on in this Lawrence v. Texas opinion, uh, Scalia argued that gay sex can be criminalized because some people find it immoral. He said, the Texas statute undeniably seeks to further the belief of its citizens that certain forms of sexual behavior are immoral and unacceptable. Great. Guess what? I'm going to take a brief to the Supreme Court and I'm going to say, no more missionary. It's old school. I hate it. No one can have any more missionary sex. It's doggy style and sideways. Wheelbarrows and reverse cowgirls from here on out. No more what missionary. What is a wheelbarrow? Wheelbarrow? Oh, is that when you grab someone's feet and get behind them and go toot toot? You grab whatever. someone's feet and they're, they're on their hands and you just ram their bodies just into fucking your dick. Ram- God, I love... There's nothing like be, like just ramming something hard and then saying, guess what you are? You're a fucking piece of lawn equipment that no one fucking uses anymore. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you're me, me personally... You're less than nothing. You're no, so, no, no. You're 80s. I you're love, 70s. I love all sexual positions that are named after gardening things. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he said, I love a, I love a hoe. I love a rake. I love to be raked. Mm-hmm. I love to be seated. I love to be fertilized. These all sound like things that see, it's just the same thing. Let me just get through this full quote. He said, the Texas statute undeniably seeks to further de- the belief of its citizens that certain forms of sexual behavior are immoral and unacceptable. The same interest furthered by criminal laws against fornication, bigamy, adultery, adult incest, bestiality, and obscenity. So, you know, so cursing. Yeah. Next cursing? up, this is the craziest. Wait, is cursing considered obscenity? Uh, I guess so. Or is it just porn? Cursing. That's going to be my new, my daughter's new male name. Cursing? Cursing. Hi, I'm Kirsty Cursing Safi. <laughs> well, it flows right out of the tongue. I know, it really does. This last one's the craziest. Uh, he, in a discussion about whether the anti-gay Colorado amendment in the first case I brought, brought up does and does, uh, what it does and does not prohibit, he suggested that if there, that what the relationship that two men and two women have isn't anything more than the relationship that two roommates have. Uh, here's what? his quote. Yeah. The amendment prohibits special treatment of homosexuals and nothing more. It would not affect, for example, a requirement of state law that pensions be paid to all retiring state employees with a certain length of service. Homosexual employees, as well as others, would be entitled to that benefit. But it would prevent the state or any municipality from making death benefit benefit payments to the life partner of a homosexual when it does not make such payments to the longtime roommate of a non-homosexual employee. So he basically says, like, hey, you're getting all the benefits just because someone dies and you have to pay taxes and all this stuff because you weren't married. The fact is you're probably just roommates. Having well, having a gay partner is the same as having a fucking friend who is late on their rent every month. Most, it's the same thing. Most roommates do fuck. I mean, me personally, I had this roommate in college who was from Beaumont and she over tanned and her, she tanned so much that her nose actually was constantly like there was a layer of skin missing. What? And she said Cheetos like Cheetos and I wanted to fuck her so bad. Oh, sure. Just like all lesbians. Oh, yeah. You know, just like a lesbian. I wanted to fuck her like a lesbian. Nothing is more enticing and sexier than living with someone you're not in a relationship with. Yes. Oh, I also had this, I had this roommate in Chicago. Her name is Jessica and she used to get, 
blackout drunk and fall asleep on the toilet and I wanted to fuck her all the time and I wanted to give her my death benefits from my pensions. I wanted to do all those things with her just like a lesbian. Yep. Just like, it's just like a lesbian to want federal benefits. Well, he's going to absolutely be in favor of Prop 8. Oh, of course. I can't wait to hear his fucking, Scalia is like, you know when you're like, okay, here's what it is. When my mom says something very hurtful and then I go, that's, I go, that hurt my feelings. She goes, it's just a joke. And then she goes into a long explanation of why it's a joke and all this stuff. That's what Scalia is doing. He's like, I'm going to defend this position Clearly, that is wrong because I am too proud to admit that it's a bad thing. So I'm going to ramble on yep. this illogical train that's headed nowhere. So my mom always says she always tells me that she's just, she's like, ah, oh, you can't take a joke, and I'm like, I take a joke for a living. I am a joke. Like, are you kidding? Jokes are funny, by the way. Yeah, she uh, but she slipped in one funny thing that um, we were like driving in the car, and this was apropos of nothing. We were talking about we had gone to like the Getty Museum or something. We were talking about something there, and then she goes, "Oh God, I know. Just the the, the way he used the color in that painting. I really hate your curtains." Just like <laughs> right dropped into right it. into it, and I was like. What? Because I really hate your curtains. And I was like, yeah, I don't really like them. I like was like, I can get defensive about this, but the truth is, I don't really like them either. So I was like, yeah, I don't like them either. She's Let's, like, okay, okay. So why? Wh- what are we doing? What is her solution? She could go buy you new curtains. Well, you know, but then it's like whatever. But then what will she have to talk about? Yes. So by the way, this is a great way to kind of finish this up. At the end of that Lawrence v. Texas uh, argument that he wrote up, which was the one that we just went over, saying like it's just like having a roommate. Yeah. He wrote, "Let me be clear." That I have nothing against homosexuals. Bullshit. I know. Lying to yourself. How do you go to sleep at How night? How can you be a bigot and then at the end of the day justify everything by saying I'm not a bigot? Just kidding. It's really like just saying, like it saying, is. Uh, no offense. Yes, no offense. No offense, but I really hate your personality. But like, no offense. But I'm am doing, I good? Also, I'm doing everything in my. Huge, huge bucket of power. Yeah. Every bit of power I have as an elected official on the highest court in the land to do everything I can to make sure that you don't have equal rights. But I don't have anything against you guys. No, you guys are cool, man. I fucking love the blonde tips. Shout out to Arkansas. These feelings won't go away. They've been knocking me sideways. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. The Supreme Court. Today, you know, I keep telling you, we have a constitutional monarchy here in the United States. We no longer have a representative democracy or a democratic republic. We have a constitutional monarchy. There are nine people who sit in a building about three blocks from where I am sitting right now who decide ultimately what the laws of this land are or are not, and in many cases actually even make up laws out of whole cloth. 
great example of that being uh, Roe v. Wade, the doctrine of uh, fetal viability, for example. Now, I'm, again, neither speaking for or against that, simply pointing it out. Another one, uh, 2010, well, actually, this was a long time, much longer time in the making than Roe v. Wade was, uh, Citizens United saying corporations are people and money is speech. I mean, these are, these are things that literally came out of the imagination of the Supreme Court. And it, frankly, in my opinion, they have no right to imagine. It is not in the Constitution. But that's a whole other rant. Today, the Supreme Court got together and heard arguments. Today, it was in Prop 8 in California, which the Mormon Church and Mitt Romney's buddies spent a fortune to get passed to ban gay marriage in that state. And after the state had adopted gay marriage, as I recall, or at least some communities had, San Francisco had, and tomorrow they're going to hear the decision on, or they're going to hear arguments on the Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA. And Shane O'Farnan, the associate producer of our program, is also the Supreme Court reporter for the Talk Radio News Service, as well as uh, an attorney, as or a law school graduate, a guy who knows this stuff far better than I do. Hey, Shano. I know it somewhat. And uh, what you were speaking about right there, Justice Scalia actually articulated that today from the about the Supreme Court deciding what the law is. I have it right here. Really? Check this out. We decide what the law is. I, I'm curious when... We decide what the law is. Yeah. Actually, he starts a little bit before that. I'm trying to find the clip. Prescribe law for the future. We decide... Uh, you know, ever since 1803, Marbury versus Madison, really they didn't start asserting this right and using it until after Dred Scott in, the 18, in 1856. But, um, you know, the Supreme Court has been saying that they're the kings. Mm-hmm. So in any case, back to uh, Prop 8. What, what were the arguments today, Shana? Well, the arguments today were, were twofold. First, you know, we have the merits of the case, mm-hmm. which everyone knows those, those arguments uh, what was really interesting is that there was a standing issue here that hasn't got as much now, coverage. Now, explain what standing is. Standing is, are, can you bring the case? Are you are you the proper person to bring it? Right. And under Article 3 of the Constitution, there has to be a case in controversy. So in order to say, court, I want you to hear my case, you actually have to be injured. All right. right. In other words, I can't go into court and say, uh, my friend down the street got hit by a car, and so I'm going to sure. sue for a million dollars on behalf of him and uh, just keep keep the money if I get it. The court would say, no, he can sue, mm-hmm. but you can't. Even further, you can't just go in and say, I don't like this law. I really hate this law. It's called general, right. a general grievance. Right. You've got, to, you've got to say, I don't like this law because it affects it's, me. it's causing my left leg to fall off. Exactly. Right. Now, the original case was filed by two uh, gay couples that wanted to get married. Right. They won. So then the question And they was, clearly had standing, by the way, because they right, were affected. Because they were affected. But then, as they won, then you want to go to the appeal. So who appeals it? The original case was brought by those couples against the governor of the state of California. Who was Schwarzenegger, who was uh, opposed to gay marriage, so he fought it. But then it was Brown. And, and they, but Jerry Brown Jerry is Brown not, not opposed to gay marriage, and so he says... I'm not going to. Yeah. So there was no one to appeal it. It would normally be the governor or the attorney general. Neither. They both declined to defend Proposition 8 on its merits. So the judge allowed uh, the people who put up Prop 8, the, the Mormon church and, and those types of groups. A collection of right-wing right. fringe groups, whatever. To appeal. And the, and the thing is, is that they had to also prove that they had standing because they were bringing the appeal. Right. The Ninth Circuit said, yes, you do. Under what rationale? There is a California case law that initiatives people who bring initiatives have standing to defend those initiatives it's it's through a court doctrine essentially 
but the thing is, is that's a California law. And the issue before the, the Supreme Court is, can California law dictate to us, federal, we the federal courts, what our jurisdiction is? Okay. And a lot of the so these guys arguably had standing in California because it was their proposition that got knocked down. But the federal there's no federal law that says there's no federal court jurisdiction. So they didn't right. even have standing to go before the Ninth Circuit as well, uh, because that's a federal court right. and federal courts determine their own jurisdiction. They can go to state court all day. But the Ninth Circuit still knocked it down, didn't it? The, the Ninth Circuit yeah, yeah, knocked down it, Prop Eight, knocked it down narrower grounds. But arguably, they didn't really even have standing to do that. So, According to this argument that was placed before the Supreme Court today. That a lot of the justices seem to uh, agree with. Certainly they had concerns. At, at, at one point, Justice Kennedy said, this is a serious jurisdictional issue. Right. That it has a lot of credence to it. Because uh, Justice Sotomayor said, uh, people, you may have a, an interest in defending this, but you're representing the state of California, and you don't have fiduciary duties to the state of California. You're representing your own interests, not the interests of the citizens of the state. All right. Like so what are you doing in front of us? What are you doing here? Because you're, you, those are your interests. Right. Breyer said there's a difference between defending this law and defending the law, which right. I thought was pretty profound. Yeah. So it's quite possible this case could be, they could simply say if they don't want to wade into this and determine rights at this point. And um, get involved in states, basically get involved in the 10th Amendment issue. Exactly. Then all they have to do is say, this isn't ours. It goes back to the Ninth Circuit, which has already said Prop 8 is unconstitutional in California, and so Prop 8 dies. It actually would go further, probably, because they would say to the Ninth Circuit, you didn't have jurisdiction to make your ruling. Okay, so then it goes to the state Supreme Court. Goes to, which, no, to the, no, it goes to the federal district court in the, in the state of California. It's a federal district court, the lowest okay. federal court in California. But that's still a federal court. Do they and, have... they, and they and they decided that it was unconstitutional on due process and equal protection under the 14th Amendment, and right. that would stand. But are you sure? that Because that's a federal court. I mean, shouldn't it go to a state court? No, because the federal court did have jurisdiction, as we said. The, the, the same-sex couples who wanted to get married, they had standing to bring their original case. It was the appeal to where there wasn't uh... any standing. The Supreme Court said you must have standing. So this is when Schwarzenegger was... Sure. Fighting the game. In, 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 when it Either comes, way. When it comes to standing. Prop A gets knocked down. Right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, standing doesn't actually deal with the defendants. It's whether the person bringing right. or right. the group bringing the actual case. Right. Now, all that said, I mean, I, I understand that there's also a way that the court could deny standing and in doing so could basically say, and by the way, Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid are all unconstitutional. Are you familiar with that argument? I've, I've read a little bit about this. You, you Did you hear anything more. this morning that indicated to you that anybody might be going down that road? No. I figured that that was more of the kind of... That was alarmist, right. hopeful, right. wishful thinking. I, right. I now, now you also, when we were talking off the air, you said that Justice Kennedy said something particularly interesting. This is a swing vote. He's, he's yeah. a Republican nominee and mm -hmm. typically votes with the other four right-wing crazies. Right. But he's not a right-wing crazy no. fully. He's, no. or at he, least he, he likes being didn't the most, used to be. He likes being the most popular justice, that's for <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, but there was, a, there was a line of questions. We were, they were at first talking about what the harm to marriage is if you allow same-sex couples to marry. Right. Justice Kagan then turned it around and said, well, what's the harm if you do? What, who's going to be harmed? And uh, Justice Scalia piped in saying, well, it's going to hurt adopted kids. But then Justice Kennedy, and essentially the, what it came down to is they couldn't figure out, and this was for uh, Mr. Cooper, who was a proponent of Prop 8, right. saying, 
any of these damages, any of these things, we don't really know yet because this is really new and, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in the future, there could be all these devastating results, but we really don't know. And Justice Kennedy came in and said, but there is a damage to not allowing this to happen. Here's the clip. On the other hand, there is an immediate legal injury or legal, uh, what could be a legal injury, and that's the voice of these children. There are some 40,000 children in California, according to the Red Brief, uh, that live uh, with same-sex parents. And they want their parents to have full recognition and full status. was being argued in front of the Supreme Court. This and whole- as per usual, the Supreme Court did nothing. You're worthless. <laughs> I mean, like, all right, so bigots didn't... I guess technically we win. We do technically win. Um, there's a really good synopsis of what happened at SCOTUS blog um, that I'll link to in the episode recap. Uh, but essentially, what happens... It, it leaves in place a Ninth Circuit's decision... Um, which is is good for gay rights activists. Um, and this uh, summary was written by Tom Goldstein. The upshot of either scenario is a modest step forward for gay rights active advocates, but not a dramatic one. The court would stay its hand for some time for society to develop its view further. But combined with a potentially significant ruling in the DOMA case being argued tomorrow, the term will likely nonetheless end up a very significant, being very significant to gay rights. Um, so essentially what happened was Kennedy literally said, uh, we can't decide on this because it's uncharted waters. Like you. Isn't that your job? Well, he's like, we don't want to get involved because uh, same-sex marriage is such a new thing, which is like, again, this is a, a classic example of the highest court in the land being so far behind. Oh, you mean the guys uh, and women who walk around in black robes and can't be fired? <laughs> they, uh, they're not really in touch with the common man? They're not with the times, yeah. Um, so... It, it's good because essentially the court just punted back to the Ninth Circuit's uh, decision. But it's like, I mean, there were so many people like camped out and, you know, people with their... I, I got two awesome tweets. I actually got a tweet and a text message that uh, I really loved. I wonder if I can find this tweet. I just want to say real quick, because um, I haven't said what the Ninth, oh, yeah, please, please. the Ninth Circuit's decision was. It, it invalidated Prop 8. Gotcha. So... That's why it's good and right. considered uh, somewhat of a victory, although obviously it would have been better if the Supreme Court decided that Prop 8 was invalidated. Yeah, so Antonio uh, Devine tweeted me, My uncles have been together for 54 years, more than any heterosexual couple that I know, uh, yet they aren't recognized. Which was like, it's really powerful when you can actually put faces to it, you know? And it's like, yeah, do you know anyone who's been together for 54 years? Well, like, you mean like Fred and Wilma Flintstone? Right. 
Like them. I know them. The Jetsons? The Jetsons. Uh, Margin Homer. The Honeymooners. Margin Homer. Really uh, any variation of that formulaic storytelling. The attractive wife with the overweight, crass husband. Right. Um, My Iota. <laughs> um, and then Big Gay Allen, who I'm still not sure how he got my phone number. I must have given it to him. I, he's very clever. I could see him figuring that stuff out. He's clever. Uh, Big Gay Allen sent me a great picture saying, thought you'd appreciate this. Now, when we met Big Gay Allen, he was a shy little terror ball hiding in the corner of my San Francisco show. And now he's just such a fucking badass activist. Uh, also looking slim, buddy. All right, sorry. Um, he sent me a picture of him outside uh, with a sign that says, my roommates asked where I was going. I said to get my rights back. Nice, uh, boss. Uh, so kudos to, uh, to both of you. So uh, to go along with the you know story of activism on Alan's part, but also the Prop 8 decision, um, Greg Sargent in the Washington Post wrote a really interesting recap of the gains that the LGBT community has made um, with civil rights. And it's incredible just to see it like laid out within Greg Sargent's lifetime. Like he grew up uh, very close to uh, Stonewall right. in the village. And just hearing him recap how horrible life was, you know, just from his observation um, for gay men in the village, which is such a bizarre thing to think because, like, the village is, like, their kingdom now. They run this town. Yeah, like, I mean, that's... Everybody knows that, too. Like, even tourists know, like, that is their domain. You don't... Not that, like, shady stuff still doesn't happen in the village. I'm sure it does. But it's it's really... It would be really strange if it happened. Who's gonna run this town tonight? Gay. Good job, Danny. Ladies and gentlemen, Yancy. Me, me. Why does he sound like an orca whale? No. Okay. (laughs) You guys don't know how hard it is to do a weird bit. You're already going out on a limb and have your co-host and loved one stare at you so angry. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I the one who made that weird? Sorry. My apologies. Uh, oh, my stomach hurts so bad. What did so, I do? Greg Sargent. Well, you, uh, back to the Stonewall thing, you were telling me uh, about, in this article, we was talking about how like, People as like a tourist attraction. Yeah, they would do it for shits and giggles. Like they would travel in from like from probably New Jersey, probably from New Jersey, New Jersey, probably took the bus in, and they would literally like scream at these poor gay guys like faggot, and like he said he would see like gay men like sneak into like clubs and like very warily sneak out. Um, And Barney Frank, you know, uh, perfectly summarized it when he said we were all in the closet. Like, everybody was hiding. Yeah. Oh, and you know, coincidentally, when we were talking about um, Lucy, the transgender woman who was uh, committed suicide. Yeah. That's what she was describing in this day and age that she was doing to avoid the press. She was going out the back door of her own home. This is the point I wanted to come to where it's, like, amazing when you see what the LGBT community has achieved. But... That achievement is very much on the uh, 
LG side of the LGBT. Right. Um, where, and marriage is still obviously not everything that needs to happen. Like, there's stuff like ENDA, you want to make sure an employer can't uh, be able to fire someone because of their sexual orientation. Uh, but transgender rights, like, that's the next, and, and, as we discussed on uh, when up with Chris asked that or Chris Hayes asked that question on his panel, he's like, "What's next for the gay rights movement? Transgender rights are going to be the next, you know, um, battle." And I mean, transgender acceptance, you and know? transgender education too, because just a lot of it, a lot of um, you know, transphobia obviously comes from people being bigoted, but a lot of it also comes from people just being ignorant. Like if you go back and you like. Research like 1950s reading material about what people were being educated oh about, like what homosexuals actually did. Like they presented homosexuals like they were, you know, predatory pedophiles. Right, right. That they were gonna like pick up your kid and fuck them and like recruit them into this deviant lifestyle. Right. Like it was like monstrous. The yeah, prop- that sounds awesome. <laughs> it was like way. monstrous the anti-gay propaganda, and we have a lot of that with you know um, well, on the Daily Mail. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, these witch hunts. Um, Where even the people who pretend to be accepting, you go, suddenly they're a teacher, and they go, well, that's that's different, because that's children. And it's like, no, we accept them as people, and people teach children. Right. So I'm going to link to the Greg Sargent article. I think it's really important to read it and understand um the history of the LGBT movement, just because it is amazing what they have achieved in such a short span of time. And it's really inspirational, especially for activists who like, you know, they're diehards, but progress comes so slowly. And it's really inspirational. Look to the LGBT community, because even though there's still a ton of inequality, what they've achieved is, as I said, so inspirational and it should get activists hope. Like if we stay organized, if we stay passionate, if we're willing to engage in direct action, you know, we can really make enormous gains in a very, very short period of time. Yeah, Greenwald phrased it, um, because, you know, we talk about the laws and stuff like this, but Greenwald, um, I'm trying to find it. And I also have to say, I think like, um, Media can potentially play a really powerful um, role in this as well. Because some people, their only experience, like, quote-unquote, meeting LGBT people was in, like, watching television shows, you know, and, like, watching movies. Like, I can't tell you how many people um, probably first learned about Harvey Milk from the film Milk, you know? and And the birdcage. Right. Which is how I learned about gay people. Oh, okay. I see. I thought you meant Harvey Milk. I was trying to remember the well, Harvey Milk reference I did, in the birdcage. For the joke, yeah. Was that not Harvey Milk who kept putting his pinky up? <laughs> Robin Williams. Robin Williams. No, it was Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane. Putting his pinky up. <sighs> Don't make me educate you about the birdcage. I cannot, While we're recording. I cannot wear shoes because they, they make, make me, me fall, fall down. down. Uh, I'll get it. Tonk. <laughs> Look, were those the most uh, positive... Were, were they a little stereotypical, those girls? No. All right. And Gene Hackman. Yes. Okay. Did they dress him up and drag at the end because they thought it would be funny? Yes. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? But do you know what I mean? Like, m- people who live in the Midwest know a ton of gay people, but were they out of the closet at the time? Probably not. Right. But then, like, a show like 
Will and Grace comes along. And admittedly, like, there are a lot of problems with stereotypes in shows like that. Sure. But it was interesting that, you know, gay people, even though they are, I mean, depending on who you ask, like, 10% of the population, I know that varies, but, uh, they have a important, they're represented a lot in media. Well, look, and that's helpful, you know, like, I think that, it sh- it makes people realize that they're out there. They probably have friends and family members who are LGBT, right. and that's further inspiration to educate themselves. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. Welcome back. Shane O'Farnan, our, well, the Supreme Court reporter for the Talk Radio News Service, our associate producer. Uh, We get to share him with them. And Shane, you were in the Supreme Court this morning, mm-hmm. listening to the arguments, yes. watch it. First of all, the fact that these guys, uh, men and women, do not allow cameras in the court just proves to me that we really do live in a constitutional monarchy and that right. they are the kings and queens and that the, they will not allow the little people to see them or hear them, well, uh, originally even to hear them. And now think about how difficult it is to get in. You had people lining up outside over the weekend, and I know I had to reserve a press seat and it was just a reservation. I wasn't guaranteed a seat a month in advance. Wow. So what I will say, though, is if you go over to the SupremeCourt.gov, go under Oral Arguments, you will find the audio there, and you will find the printed transcript. So you can listen along, watch the transcript, listen along. You'll know who's saying what. Right. You get a really good idea of what was argued there if you're interested. If you're so inclined, I encourage everyone to do that. So that's a great window in. Let's let's listen to some of the things that you heard today that you thought were noteworthy. You want to you so, share with us sure. what, what we're hearing? Well, the first clip is uh, Justice Scalia talking about jurisdiction. Uh, Scalia and Roberts were really upset that the president and the attorney general would not defend DOMA. Right. Uh, Scalia even referred... Well, may I put a finer point on that? Sure. Not just that he wouldn't defend it, but that he was also still enforcing it. Right. That, that it, it, basically, weren't they saying, if you don't like this law, then just stop enforcing it, let somebody sue you, right. and then we'll have an actual case in front of us. Right, right. And, and Justice Scalia referred to when he was at the uh, uh, Office of Legal Counsel, how there was, an, there was an opinion from that Office of Legal Counsel that the Attorney General shall enforce and defend all laws. Right. He, he should be forced to do this, to, right. to defend him. But this is Scalia saying, why in the world are we here? Are we just here for fun? Really, that's very peculiar. When, when, when both parties to the case agree on what the law is, what, the, just for fun, the district judge is, is going to have a hearing? And here's uh, Justice Roberts talking, actually calling out the president for enforcing an unconstitutional law, what, just what you were talking about before this. I would have thought your answer would be that the executive's obligation to execute the law includes the obligation to execute the law consistent with the Constitution. And if he has made a determination that executing the law by enforcing the terms is unconstitutional, I don't see 
why he doesn't have the courage of his convictions and execute not only the statute, but do it consistent with his view of the Constitution, rather than saying, oh, we'll wait till the Supreme Court tells us we have no choice. This was basically Thomas Jefferson's argument when, when uh, in 1803, when Marbury versus Madison. I mean, he was, he was, you know, each branch of the government should decide for itself what is or isn't constitutional and mm-hmm. act okay. on that decision. And if the people disagree with them, they will throw the bums out. And if the people agree with them, they'll reelect them. And so if the president thinks this is an unconstitutional, uh, unconstitutional law, he should direct the IRS to recognize, right. uh, you know, uh, people in states that have acknowledged gay marriage as being legally married and right. give them deductions and inheritance rights. Exactly. And, and, I, I agree with Jefferson, and weirdly, I agree with Justice Roberts. And if there is some kind of great injustice in a specific, very narrow case between two people, that's what the courts are for. But they don't. The courts aren't say, there to say, "Here's the rule for everyone." Just in this one case. So, in a way, what Justice Roberts was saying was the president's wimping out here. He was. He was calling him out. Amazing. He definitely was. But then he, way later, and I don't know if we'll have time to play this because it's about a two-minute clip. He really got into the politics of it. That this was, really? this was the gay lobby. And they are so powerful now that that's where this sea change has come from. Robert said that. Robert, oh yeah, two minutes. I guess there was probably a little bit of extra time with one of the uh, with uh, the. I, th- I don't remember which attorney it was, but he went in a very long discussion of his opinion about what where the sea change came from. It was a lot of money being dumped into a lot of same sex marriage proponent lobbyists. Well, that's that's true. I mean, was he was he complaining about that, he or was he was he it. celebrating it? He he was he was saying that the. Society hasn't changed because they're they're becoming better and more open. The society is changing because they're being told to by a bunch of lobbyists. Oh, that's weird. That, that, that it's not they're not opening people's minds. The minds are being open for them and becoming because a lot of money has been paid and a lot of time because they're very quote unquote powerful. Right. So Roberts is of the opinion that 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 our uh, that our opinions are up for sale. That the younger generation's acceptance of gay marriage and, mm-hmm. is not because more and more people are coming out and people are discovering that there are gay people in their family. Oh my God, never knew it. Uh, but instead, um, but but to lace that together with what that clip we just played, he, if you link those two together, he's saying the president is a victim of that as well. Right. So Roberts is you know sees a gay conspiracy here apparently. Apparently. So uh, Justice Kennedy, what's this clip? Clip number two. Here? Uh, uh, let's let's play number three. This is okay. great. This is Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg okay. talking about the ridiculous stuff. So, and and what would happen if with with the, keeping this uniform, quote unquote, which they uniformity is a good thing, but right. this would is what would happen if you kept that federal law. As Justice Kennedy said, eleven hundred statutes, and it affects every area of life. And so you would be really diminishing what the state has said is marriage. You're saying you no. Know, State, there are two kinds of marriages. The full marriage and then the sort of skin milk marriage. Right. So this is, this is, she's talking about how, um, because the IRS doesn't recognize gay marriages, even though some states do, in those states where you have gay marriage recognized, you have a marriage, but it's a skin milk marriage. Right. Exactly. And this is what really what the, the two arguments down, Justice Kagan summed them up. Uh, what's the purpose behind DOMA? Is it some kind of animus towards same-sex people, uh, same-sex couples, or is it for uniformity? This is this and was it really part. was animus, yes. in my opinion. They they actually uh, talked about how the, they wanted to. Uh, what's the term? Uh, morally, wow! I I wish I I have it in my 
Well, DOMA was an attempt to say, you know, we're going we're gonna to get rid of the gays I mean, or gay marriage or we're going to make sure that it can't. But in the know. congressional record for DOMA, one of the, the congresspeople said that DOMA was there to express the moral, moral disapproval of same-sex uh, marriage. So that's what they were So thus animus. animus. Animus is a Latin word for yeah. hatred. For, and animus is not a good enough reason. Yeah. So here we go. Do we really think that Congress was doing this for uniformity reasons? Or do we think that Congress's judgment was infected by dislike, by fear, by animus, and so forth? Supreme Court is considering two major cases on same-sex marriage. The questions are huge. A topic that is moving quickly in terms of public opinion comes before a court that tends to move slowly. One possible outcome, the recognition of same-sex marriage nationwide. And if that happens, it will be one of a series of landmark rulings extending the rights of citizens. Brown versus the Board of Education, Roe v. Wade, Miranda, and so on. But how much does the Supreme Court change the public's perspective on those issues, and how much does public opinion influence the court? NYU law professor Barry Friedman has written a book on that very question and says the answer is that contrary to popular belief... As I show in my book, The Will of the People, on countless important issues, the Supreme Court tends to come into line with public opinion over time. Give me examples of cases where you think the court was kind of destined by the trends in public opinion to make the decisions it's made. I think actually an interesting place to start is with the issue of gay rights, the issue on the plate this week. The Supreme Court confronted that issue in terms of gay sex in Bowers versus Hardwick in the early 1980s and found that state laws that banned what was called an homosexual sodomy were constitutional. That was the height of the scare about AIDS and people were very leery of homosexuality. But there is something ironic that happens, which is that when the Supreme Court decides a case, the people who agree with it tend to nod and go back about their business. It's the people who are shocked by the decision or outraged by the decision that tend to mobilize in the political arena. We saw that after Roe versus Wade when the right organized and really led the country into a period of much more conservative politics. And we saw it after Bowers versus Hardwick when the gay community organized in an extremely effective way. And 20 years later, we saw the Supreme Court flip around in Lawrence versus Texas and find that all of the state laws that banned homosexual sodomy, as it was again then called, were unconstitutional. There are cases, are there not, though, where the court seems ahead of public opinion? I'm thinking of Miranda, which decades and decades into its history still seems to be understood by a majority of Americans as giving extra rights to the criminally accused. At the time the court decided the case, it looked like public opinion and the culture very much favored what it was doing. Miranda came at the end of a long line of Supreme Court decisions expanding the rights of criminal defendants, very much driven by concerns about race and justice in the United States. I mean, another one is Gideon versus Wainwright, saying that people had a right to a lawyer, and it went down very happily in the country. 
But right when Miranda got decided, crime rates shot up in this country, and Richard Nixon took advantage of that and ran against the court and soured the whole Miranda story. Sometimes what happens is the court decides a case. There's a compelling story about why it was consistent with the culture, but then for whatever reason, there's a backlash. So coming back to gay marriage, the opposition to it in polls seems to be minimal. But as you analyze this highly polarized court, what's your prediction? Very often, the Supreme Court finds itself in line with public opinion or the culture by looking at what a majority of the states do, rather than looking at public opinion polls, though there are examples of that. But in this case, you get a split in terms of gay marriage. So if you look at public opinion and you look at the polls, it looks like there's you know just over majority support. But if you look at the state laws, they're all still very much negative on the question of gay marriage. And so this case presents the court with a challenge. It was hard to say after the argument. I think that there were hints in every direction. Most importantly, Justice Kennedy, who sits squarely in the middle of the court on this issue and is going to be the deciding vote, made comments that looked in both directions dramatically. We're speaking of the Supreme Court as an institution, but the court as it stands now is so polarized that Justice Kennedy is usually the swing vote. Does the history of how the court behaves have anything to do with this particular set of justices where Justice Kennedy sort of gets to decide the law for the uh, immediate future? Well, if you stop and think about it, there are nine justices on the court, so somebody will always be in the middle. People often ask, how does the Supreme Court end up following public opinion over time, following the culture? But as you rightly observe, often it doesn't take nine justices, it just takes one. And that justice in the middle, by definition, is likely to be somebody who tends to be more attuned to the grays instead of the black and whites. What's your best guess? Look, here's what I think that Anthony Kennedy's going to want to do. He's been a big supporter of gay rights throughout his time on the court, and it's a matter about which he feels passionately. On the other hand, he's a big supporter of federalism, and he doesn't like to stomp on what the states are doing. So if I were Anthony Kennedy, I'd want to figure out a way to give a favorable nod to the issue of gay marriage, move the needle a little bit on the issue in the right direction while saying we need to give it a little bit more time. And that's the kind of statement he likes to make. And in both of the cases that are in front of the court this week, there is some wiggle room to do something unusual like that. Barry, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Barry Friedman is the author of The Will of the People. With a step closer, you know that I want you. I can tell by your eyes that you want me to. Just a question sign. I knew we'd be together and that you'd be mine. I want you here forever. Do you hear what I'm saying? Gotta say how I feel. This week, the Supreme Court took up the issue of what to do about California's Proposition 8 and the Federal Defense of Marriage Act. Both measures now seem not only homophobic, but extremely unhip. <laughs> Even the court's conservatives were apparently squeamish about upholding either one and appeared to be looking for a way to throw them both out while still respecting traditional American bigotry. If we're completely up to them, gays couldn't get married, but corporations could. Following any Supreme Court decision forces us to root for one of the conservatives to be slightly less full of crap. 
Once again, progressive hopes have focused on free-spirited Justice Anthony Kennedy, because he really came through for us on Obamacare. Anyway, that crucial fifth vote probably won't come from Chief Justice Roberts. He argued that gays are so politically powerful, they no longer suffer any discrimination. So I guess it's okay for the federal government to take up the slack. Unfortunately for the conservative lawyers opposing gay marriage, they had no good arguments because you're not allowed to use the phrase grossed out. <laughs> Even Bill O'Reilly and Rush Limbaugh have conceded that gay marriage is inevitable if only because so many of their employees have invited them to their gay weddings. It's just too bad that Justices Scalia, Roberts, Kennedy, and Alito don't have more black friends. Maybe then they wouldn't be planning to overturn voting rights and affirmative action. But you can't have everything. feminism and in particular the clip from uh twib radio and i have to tell you elon is probably one of the best people at framing a logical discussion on any podcast however the one thing i wish they would have touched on is that you know being in ohio i saw a lot of coverage about steubenville on local news that didn't make national news a lot of people seem to forget that it was not being prosecuted the town had pretty much given up on the whole thing until the hacktivist group Anonymous got involved and started circulating the pictures and the videos of the kids talking about the rape. And uh, this is very important. I mean, this whole town of Steubenville is ready to bury this whole issue as well as the life of this girl. And, uh, I mean, just no one is screaming out about that. Instead, they're more upset about how CNN covered sympathetic towards the, uh, the rapists and granted, they're very wrong in doing so, but let's look at the bigger picture, too. I mean, the, the girl who came out, of, you know, who was raped, there were other kids who threatened her. I mean, that was in the news. <laughs> it's just, this is so much bigger, and this whole thing, it's just the tip of the iceberg, Jay. People really need to look at this long and hard. I mean, rape culture is here, and to the extent that it's here, is absolutely terrifying. Jay, this is Elka in Fort Wayne. Just listened to the uh, latest feminism episode, and I have um, just a couple of comments pertaining to the Rush Limbaugh clip in particular. You know, the interesting thing about that clip is not only were his comments offensive, they were just flat out wrong. He didn't even know what he was talking about. His understanding of the lyrics is so far off that it's, it's almost comical. Beyonce in that song isn't telling women to bow down to men. Um, quite the contrary. She's telling women to bow down to her. She's letting other women know that she, Beyonce, is the HBIC, okay, the head bitch in charge, and all the rest of us want to be HBICs that recognize her power and her authority. You know, so her participation in misogyny and her mimicry of patriarchal, patriarchal uh, power structures is the real problem with this song, in my mind, because, you know, for a woman, especially someone of Beyonce's economic and social status, to speak to and treat other women in that way 
at best falls into the you're not helping category and at worst is actually perpetuating you know women's sexual oppression um so you know that's the larger issue around that and um haven't heard a lot uh, you know speaking to that particular uh, aspect of that whole Beyonce kerfuffle but um you know, it's, it's interesting, and it's sad, and again, really almost kind of comical that Rush Limbaugh completely missed that. Um, good show. Thanks, and uh, looking forward to the next one. Bye. Hi, Jay. It's Suzanne. I'm calling about your um, show on the 2nd of April, um, and specifically in response to Wade's voicemail. Hey, Jay. It's Wade. I joined the Marine Corps on April 8th, 2002, which was also my 18th birthday. And I wanted to go to Afghanistan. Next thing I know, my staff sergeant's telling me, hey, we're going to Iraq. The war was useless, pointless, needless. I really feel like, you know, we all owe, you know, the Iraqis in the world and ourselves an apology, you know. I have to say, I'm, I'm obviously a, a liberal and I, as somebody else in that same, um, Voice nothing said. Jay, this is Dave from Olympia, Washington. Wade continues to listen, and he continues to call in. And I disagree with him, but I totally respect him for that. Have immense respect for for Wade for arguing his point, for sticking to it, for listening to things he doesn't necessarily agree with. I also have to say that I listened to his voicemail with tears in my eyes because my father has only just started dealing with his PTSD from Vietnam. It was 45 years ago. And the fact that Wade has gone to a point where he has begun to be able to look at the negatives of the war he was involved in without taking it as a personal affront to himself, I think is astounding. It's a fantastic step forward for mental health for himself as well as just as in personal development and I'm uh, Wade I don't know you obviously but I just wanted to tell you that I have nothing but the utmost of respect for you and given the progress that my dad has shown in the last six weeks of getting therapy for his PTSD and actually talking to other veterans about it and dealing with some of those aspects those hangover aspects of guilt and dealing with having to try to reconcile pride in your service with what the hell were we doing there. I really, really am very impressed with where you've come to and I just wanted to tell you that, sorry, I kind of switched to who I was talking to in the middle of that, but um, yes, so that primarily is for Wade. Bless you. Hey Jay, this is Jeff, the South Florida progressive cop. I just want to respond to Wade's conversation about the war. Um, I appreciate his service. I mean, uh, I know it's kitschy and it's silly to, to hear sometimes. Uh, I mean, I was a conservative. I voted for Bush in 2000, but watching the Iraq war happen changed my opinion. It brought me back to my liberal upbringing and, and really made me reevaluate my political stance. And I'm sorry for voting for that idiot. I'm, I'm sorry for what he did to you, Wade. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm not saying what I've been through compares to what you've been through at all, but I, I signed up to be a cop to catch violent criminals and to put people in jail that have hurt other people and to help out people who've been victimized. And 
I've been ordered to do things that I didn't sign up for as well. Uh, I, I have to lock, I'm ordered to lock up people for dope. Uh, we have quotas. It's not legal. It's not right. We have them. It's true. I mean, read, read the nation. It, it happens. I mean, I, it, like I said, it doesn't compare. I, I've only been shot at once. I didn't see any of my friends die. I'm I, I paid well. Yeah, I get health care, and I haven't had to take anybody else's life, thank goodness. But I do know how disheartening it is to have your face in something and people you respect it completely destroyed. It, it sucks. I, I know a little bit of what you've, you've gone through, but I, I can only imagine the, the degree that it, that it is for you, having you know, signed up. And so I, I was actually in the police academy during 9-11, and a lot of people did leave and sign up. Some of them did end up in Iraq. And, I mean, they were going to be policemen, and they went and signed up to fight the people who attacked us, and they end up in Iraq. It's it, it, it's awful. But, uh, like I said, thank you, Wade, for serving, and don't look at it as something not, not to be proud of. I don't feel proud of serving over there. You know, I don't feel there's no source of pride in me. Because you were there and protected your fellow men as best you could in a truly messed up situation. So you should be proud of that. You took care of people the best you could. And by the way, just remember Wade, and anytime you hear or think about the VA, it's still screwed up. The backlog is insane. People can't get treatment for things that this war and the other somewhat more, you know, like Wade said. I'll never again go over there and fight in another pointless, useless war. And, And in truth, they're all pointless and useless. War is pointless, but somewhat more legitimate war cause. So call your congressmen, call your representatives, call your senators. Our, our veterans deserve to be taken care of. All right. Thanks a lot, Jay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips and make the show possible. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So I just wanted to respond to Colin from Cleveland talking about Steubenville and rape culture in general. I think he makes a a great point that most of the coverage really was missing the forest for the trees and, and didn't talk about the general sense of rape culture in the town, how the town was actually not going to prosper prosecute the general consensus not everyone of course but sort of the, the general sense of it was that the, the people of the town w- would have been happy for the issue to just go away uh, there were lots of threats sent to the girl uh, you know lots of people are calling her a slut victim blaming in the most classic uh, sense of the word and so uh, Colin's definitely right that I think that th- that angle wasn't necessarily talked about on Best of the Left. I wish it had been, uh, just for whatever reason, that clip didn't get played uh, or, or even pulled by me. But I do recall having this angle uh, talked about. And uh, honestly, I, I don't remember what show it was from, whether it was from This Week in Blackness or Citizen Radio. They've both been doing just gangbusters uh, work on rape culture and, and, and all these sort of related issues. But, I mean, Citizen Radio covers it like it's their beat. You know, they've been on it for a couple of months now. So if you're interested, definitely go check out those other shows. But for now, I can sort of relate the the, the point that most clearly sticks out in my head uh, that, that I believe came from Citizen Radio. And it's basically the way, you know, in a town like this, the high school football stars are sort of exalted as these local heroes and how that actually 
probably adds to the likelihood of them committing these sorts of crimes and expecting to get away with it, or worse yet, not even thinking that it's a crime in the first place. Just, you know, the, the high school football boys are, are, you know, amazing stars, and women are, you know, they're the cheerleaders, or they're just sort of there to serve, basically. And so this is absolutely, you know, crystal clear uh, situation that exemplifies uh, rape culture. So when a town like Steubenville has a crime like this exposed by the media, it's sort of like holding up a mirror to the culture of that town, and it actually implicates the town for the actions of the rapists. And so people get really defensive really fast because to admit that the culture of the town and that you know the, the way they treat these kids like many celebrities might have actually added or encouraged something as horrible as rape is too much for people to handle. So they immediately, like, without even thinking about it, they they reject that idea immediately. No sort of self awareness or self reflection. You know what what did we do wrong? You know why why would these boys act this way? They immediately uh, reject that and blame the victim instead. They call her a slut. They you know they say it was her fault for being drunk, and uh, then lots of people threaten her and so on. And so I think, you know, a very straight line can be drawn between the reaction in this case and how the people just reflexively, um, you know, defend the boys in this case in the, in the local town and how the higher ups, mind you, the higher ups of the Catholic Church, not the regular Catholics, the higher ups, uh, you know, like the, uh, the Imperial Guard guys in the, in the red capes from Star Wars, the way they reacted to the child sex abuse cases in the Catholic Church, uh, where there were actually documented cases of those guys lamenting the plight of the poor priests who were being seduced by teenage boys. Like, that's how deeply ingrained it was to, you know, immediately defend the powerful against the powerless. And, you know, as is the case in Steubenville, you know, the, the, the reaction is to defend those who we already put on a pedestal because to have put these people on a pedestal and then to see them do bad things reflects badly on you for having put them on a pedestal in the first place. You know, if you give these these kids that are in high school, you know, all these, you know, extra privileges, you can treat them like little celebrities, and then they do terrible things, well, then maybe it was because of something you did. You know, you, you were treating them in this way. Was it something you did that made them do what they did? No, no, no. Uh, it... it that couldn't have been it, so let's blame the victim. And this is why it's so important to see all aspects of women's equality as interconnected. You know, everything from equal pay in the, you know in the workplace to reproductive rights to you know, focusing not on the actions of women and whether or not they're wearing a skirt, and rather focusing the, on the actions of the actual rapists and trying to change the culture of rape that way, rather than just always focusing squarely on, you know, what can women do to prevent themselves from being raped? How about we focus on what men can do to not rape people and, and putting the focus there to change the culture? Like all of these things are, are related because they all, uh, you know, in, in the way the society has been going, I mean, we've been, we, I think we can say that we've made progress since the Mad Men era, but maybe not as much as we think we have. You know the 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 degree to which women uh, or the frequency with which women are often seen as objects or are treated as you know people to be distrusted and and you know looked at kind of just with a squinty eye like I don't know you probably had it coming or well what did you do to bring that on or 
if you're not getting paid the same, like, well, maybe, maybe those were your own decisions to not get paid the same, and so on and so on and so on. Fighting on all of these issues is what helps move the culture in the direction so that women aren't just granted equality. They're not just, uh, you know, given equal pay, but they're seen as deserving equal pay. They're seen as deserving equality. It's not something to be granted to them. It's something that they've always deserved, but that society doesn't currently recognize that they deserve. That's the sort of thing that will change the mindset of teenage boys growing up in a society where women are thought of as exactly equal and not objects for them to do what they want with. Let me know what you think. The number again, 202-999-3991. That's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the show survives. Stay tuned in to the program between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fine fine town, black and white. You took apart a picture that wasn't right. Bitch burning on a shining sheet. The only maker that you want to meet. A dying man in a living room. Who shadow bases the floor. I'll take you out.